This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Hey, Chris, I guess we have some things to talk about right now, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and, and let me go ahead and flip this around and just ask you how you're doing, sir. <laughs> a lot of people calling, texting, sending tweets at me. So it was a crazy night. Let me go through my entire day. All day, I was a ball of nervous energy because I had no idea what the Jets were going to do. There were all these different reports that they might stay at three and pick Bosa or Quinn and Williams if they were available. Then there were the rumors that Kyler Murray might not actually go first because overnight, the odds swung from minus 2,400 for him to go number one to minus 200, which is a massive odd swing and typically yeah. tells you that Vegas knows something. So I'm checking in with my buddy John over at Razorsport.com, who's a handicapper and knows these things like the back of his hand. And I'm saying, okay, what's going on? And he's saying, dude, I don't think Kyler's going to go first. I think it's going to be Quinn Williams and Bosa. And so the Jets will be there at number three, and maybe they'll trade out to somebody that wants Kyler Murray. He goes, because that odd swing is insane. And I'm like, yeah, that is kind of crazy. Now, to update that, two hours before the draft, he texted me again and said that the odds had swung back up to minus 850, and he had jumped in on that because he figured if the odds swung back up that much that it was a pretty safe bet at that point. It turned out to be true, as we'll get to in a bit. But all day I was nervous. There were all these rumors about what the Jets were going to do. Were they going to sit tight? Were they going to make a trade? And then I'm out for a run, and my phone's lighting up. And I start glancing at my phone, and people are texting me stuff about possible trade scenarios. And I never should have been looking at my phone while I was running because I tripped and almost took a header. Thankfully, that didn't happen. So lesson learned there. But at a certain point, I just got so curious that I texted you, Chris, and I said, what's going on? I'm hearing this, 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 or any of these things true. So you ended up calling me while you were waiting for your burger at Smash Burger, which I understand took a lot longer than you wanted yeah. it to. So you told me what was going on, and I'll let you get into that in a second. You can tell me what you were hearing as we were leading up to this. And then the draft starts, and I'm watching it play out, and Kyler Murray does go first. And Chris, you and I talked about this before we started recording. Up until the second the words Kyler Murray came out of Goodell's mouth, I wasn't sure it was going to happen. I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Then when the Niners were on the clock, obviously we've heard different reports and rumors over the last couple days, and we heard Solomon Thomas was being shopped. So you had to wonder, was it going to be Quentin Williams? Was it going to be Nick Bosa? It ends up being Nick Bosa. So just as the Bosa pick happens, my phone rings, and it's Joe Blewett. Now, Joe Blewett is up at Niagara Falls with his girlfriend, who is now his fiance. by the way. He proposed to her earlier in the day. She said yes, so I'm super happy for him, and I can't wait to have him on the podcast to talk about the Quinton Williams pick and who the Jets pick in the subsequent days, but obviously, he's kind of busy right now. So he calls me, and he says, dude... I'm walking back from the restaurant we just ate at. I have a mile and a half walk. I can't get any Wi-Fi. You got to give me a play-by-play. Tell me what's happening. So I filled them in on Kyler Murray and Bosa. It's like, how much time's on the clock? We're going through the whole thing. So then it says the pick is in. 
So the realization comes that the Jets are actually going to make this pick and they didn't trade it because I was almost positive they were going to trade it based on what the reports had been and what you had told me, Chris. And like I said, I'm going to let you get to that in a second. So then the pick is in and we're waiting for them to make the pick. And Goodell comes up to the podium, and we're both so nervous because, as everybody knows, Joe and I have been at the front of the Quinn and Williams train for months, screaming and yelling for them to pick him if he's on the board at number three. And now here he is at number three. And they didn't trade the pick, which we were scared about. They kept the pick. So I have the phone up to the TV. I have the TV blasting so Joe can hear it. And Goodell announces the pick, and the words Quinn and Williams come out of his mouth. And I just erupted. Joe and I both did. I was <laughs> screaming. I was like, yes! My neighbors were probably ready to call the police on me. I was screaming. I was like, yes! You would have thought that the Jets won the Super Bowl or I won the lottery or something like that. And Joe was going nuts. He's like, yes! And we were talking about how this is the one thing that we're glad McCagnan always does, which is sticks to his board and goes best player available when he has a super high pick like this. And we were saying how hyped we were that the Jets got Quinn and Williams to get the best player in the draft, and he had no business being on the board at number three. And we started talking about the different ways that Greg Williams could use him and the impact that he could have right away and all the different domino effects it would have on guys like Leonard Williams and how in addition to the pass rush being a lot better. And I know you wrote an article at JetsInsider.com about that, Chris, and so I'm going to let you talk about that too, about how Quinn and Williams is going to help the pass rush and that with Quinn and Williams, Leonard Williams, and C.J. Mosley, good luck trying to run the ball on this team. We're going through the whole thing. And I was so excited. Man, I was so pumped. And then I checked my phone and it was lighting up with text messages and tweets and all these other things from people that were saying, hey, congratulations, as if I won something, which I didn't. (laughs) I'm just really glad that they drafted Williams because I think he's going to be a special player. And Chris, I know that Mike McCagnan had a lot to say about that as well, and I want you to talk about that. But first, take me through your day as a reporter reporting on this team. What were you hearing? How is this playing out in your mind? And then talk to me about what was going on as the selection came up. Yeah, it was crazy. (laughs) It's been a crazy day. A lot of phone calls, a lot of texting back and forth, a lot of, wait, what? Are you serious? That can't be. (laughs) What? No, huh? What? Really? Um, There was a whole bunch of that. Uh, The frustrating thing about it was there was two things I was about 98% sure of. (laughs) And, but like, you know, which is about as as sure as something as you can be when you're talking about the NFL draft. And one of those things was San Francisco would take Nick Bosa if Nick Bosa was there. And the other thing was the Jets would take Quinn and Williams unless they got, if Quinn and Williams is there, unless they got blown away with an offer that they liked. And then the Kyler Murray thing, you know, like we said, and talked about this the other day, everything seemed to point, everything I was hearing said Kyler Murray, but just, I just didn't believe it because it just, I, I still can't believe they traded up into the top 10 to get Rosen last year. I don't think it's any Rosen's fault that he did that. And they still haven't done anything to actually upgrade that offense around them for a new quarterback either. So it just kind of 
it, I just didn't really fully believe it. It, it right up until the second that they actually made the pick. And I was like, okay, right. That they, they really went and did it. Uh, but then you have to factor in the trade stuff. Now we'll start with the Raiders because we talked about this. If, if they had just flipped with the Raiders and picked up a second round pick or something. But at that point with Quinn and Williams on the board, they weren't going to pass on Quinn and Williams just to pick up a second rounder. So then it came down to will Buffalo decide to make a move for, you know, and now we knew that th- that was going to be for Quinn and Williams that they were going to do. It's also an interdivisional thing. So they're going to have to pay a division tax to pay it. Also <laughs> going to have to pay a tax for, well, this is the guy we're going to take. So we're not just going to trade him to you just for, you know, a couple picks here and there. What I couldn't figure out is what the Bills were offering, the extent of how much they were offering. That's what we couldn't pin down, and that's made it you know, up in the air still because obviously if the Bills gave them the number nine pick overall, they gave them a second this year, a first round next year, and a third and a fourth you know, spread between this year and next year, then the Jets, I think, would have taken that. They obviously didn't get anything that uh, – any offers that were – anywhere like that so they stood pat and they took Quinn and Williams and you know it was it was funny because normally this is I don't even know how long so Rex's second year was my first year covering this team um so it's been however long that is I'm terrible at time you guys can do the math if you feel like it <laughs> uh, I've been through that many drafts whatever that number is that's how many drafts I've been through and it's you know the we go to Florham Park we we all sit in the room in the media room and we're all watching TV we're all cracking jokes and whatever and we're all sitting there like this is gonna be crazy, right even before the draft starts I gotta take Quinn right but none of us could really no, because we didn't know what was going on in Buffalo, what they were offering. We didn't. None of us were sure about Kyler Murray. We all we all kept going back and forth. We all kept being like, "It's going to be Kyler Murray," but it doesn't make sense that it would be Kyler Murray. Why would they do this two years in a row? This doesn't make sense. And they picked Kyler Murray, and we all, every one of us, was like, "I can't believe they actually just did this." <laughs> so um, then again, San Francisco came up. Like I said. I had been told emphatically over and over again it was going to be uh, Nick Bosa there. I I was about as sure as you could possibly be it was going to be Nick Bosa. And then I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I know how much the Jets love Quinn Williams. I know he was the number one player on the board. Uh, that he had they had him as the highest graded uh, player in the draft. I know this, so it's going to have to take a monster offer to do that. And, you know, if they were going to trade with the Raiders, they would have had to be a hundred percent sure certain that the Raiders weren't going to take Quinn and Williams. They probably would have taken Quinn and Williams based on the fact that they took clean, clean Farrell. Um, so they, they probably would have taken him there. So they wisely just held on to the pick and took the best player in the draft. And again, you know, we'll talk about this more before. I know everybody wanted the edge rusher, but put Quinn and Williams as a pass rusher. He can do, he can stop the run, but he can also get after the quarterback. And you can do that from the inside. McCagnan was asked about that and he gave a good answer on it. It was, uh, there was a lot there, but once, once the Jets got up there, we were all sitting there, and then it was like, okay, Quinn Williams picks. And then it was like almost no reaction at that point. We were like, yep, okay, that makes total sense. And then, yeah, of course, we spent the last 
couple of days uh, going nuts, pulling our hair out, trying to figure out trade and this and that, just for it to be Quinn and Williams. And there was like almost no reaction from us. We, it was the reaction was just. Everybody go to their computer and start writing. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. My buddy Nate said... I feel like the guy who just got the really cute girl who's nice and polite and it's going to make a great wife and you're going to be happy with her, but she's not the smoking hot blonde that's going to rock your world. So in some sense, you're disappointed. And I said, well, when you watch him play, you're going to realize that he's all the things you described and he's the smoking hot blonde too. Because of what you just said, Chris, about all the ways that Quentin Williams can impact the defense, both against the run and the pass, I have to tell you, I was nervous about these trade options as I was hearing about them. The Buffalo one, I really wanted no part of, because unless they were going to be giving up a real haul, which it sounded like wasn't going to be the case based on the reports that were coming out, and I think the rumor was a second and a third rounder, which to me is nowhere near enough to give up a player like Quentin Williams, I was going to be infuriated. Plus, then you would have to watch him destroy the Jets' offensive line two times a year every year. No thanks on that one. And then the other one with the Raiders intrigued me because I thought, okay, if it's because they love Ed Oliver and they're afraid the Jets will take him, or it's because they're afraid the Jets are going to trade to a QB needy team that will jump them to get Dwayne Haskins, then fine. But ultimately, it seems like the reason the Raiders wanted to do it is because they knew the Jets were going to pick Quinn and Williams, and they wanted him. So at that rate, I'm not just taking a second rounder to move down a spot and get a guy that I prefer a lot less, who I don't have rated anywhere near as highly as Quinn and Williams. So I think Mike McCagnan made the smart play. I've been saying over and over and over and over again, when you have a stud like that on the board and he's right there for you, take him, don't overthink think it and don't get cute because I use the Orlando Pace example but it's true you see it over and over and over again and especially if you would have traded him within the division oh man that would have come back to haunt this team so I'm so glad that they ended up doing the smart thing not moving staying where they were and taking the superior player getting the A plus talent I'm super excited to watch him play and it sounds like I'm not the only one because as you alluded to Chris Mike McCagnan had some glowing praise for Quinn and Williams in the presser 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, he he talked about a couple of different things with him. First off, they talked about his character and uh, what a great kid he is. And you can you can hear it in his voice. He's got the deep southern drawl too. But uh, he everybody raves about this kid's character, about what a hard worker he is. He himself talked about how he's willing to do anything and everything that's asked, and he's a really uh, good learner. He can he's ready to learn and be taught. He's excited to play with Leo and and CJ Mosley and Jamal Adams. But you know, McCagney was asked a couple a bunch of things about him. He was asked about you know the fans wanting an edge rusher and uh, you know what Quinn can do as a, a, a pass rusher from the inside. And McCagnin said what we've been saying. You know, everybody focuses on the edge. They're focusing on the exterior. But the same does, it's good to have pass rushers on the interior too. And, like, he is absolutely a pass rusher. He can get after the quarterback. Now, don't take this as I'm saying he's going to have 10 sacks in his rookie year. He's going to take time, just like it's going to uh, take Nick Bosa. It's going to take uh, – Josh Allen time to be able to develop into what they are. But then I specifically asked uh, McCagnin about, you know, you watch the tape of him, you can see the athletic ability. You can see the speed and power. I mean, we talked about this, the way he can just ragdoll and toss offensive linemen is super impressive. That jumps out the screen. No matter who you are, you don't have to know anything about football. If you just put on the tape, you will see that. But what we saw, what Joe Blewett saw, you can see the fundamentals and technique. You can see the way he uses his hands, which is something McCagnin specifically said when I asked him about it. He said, you know, the, you see all that on tape, uh, on tape, but can you talk about, uh, you know, his technique and how big of an impact that played? The ability to be able to – draft is all about projection. But to be able to get a player – who has such strong fundamentals and such sound technique. And you know, yes, you can sculpt it, you can mold it, you can build it up and make it better. But to know that he's got that baseline has to be such a relief. Uh, so good for the, the coaching staff and GM to feel. We know this guy coming in. He's already really good at that, and we can just build on that. And the, that's what McCagney said. He said, you know, you look at players – look at them in terms of the physical ability, the technique, you look at things they can improve upon, but when you watch him, the thing that shows up are his hands, the way he uses his hands as a pass rusher, the way he uses them, come, like, he did it consistently against very good competition, he played at Alabama and the SEC at the best conference in college football against the best, uh, most physical opponents. And he did that very well against a lot of players who were in this draft, McCagney pointed out. And he said, you know, there's a lot of potential to develop him still, but that baseline is there. Even if you don't sit there and he doesn't improve, which, of course, they expect him to, but if he doesn't improve his fundamentals and techniques, it's already good enough that he can get by and he will still be really good, even if he didn't improve, which, again, they're going to expect him to. But he, And then the, the closing point, you know, when you combine the technique, you combine his instincts, you combine his athletic ability, he has all the parts and pieces to be a very good player. Uh, you know, this is McCagden downplaying a little bit. He probably does He's not going to go with there, talk about how he's special, but we've been talking about it. He is a special player, and he, you know, and now he himself 
when asked what his biggest strength was, he said his biggest strength is speed to power and going after the pass rush. But also, I can stop the run, too. And he said it exactly like that, <laughs> which, is, which is exactly what you want. Yep. You're drafting somebody in today's NFL, and you're drafting somebody high in the draft. You want him to play, be able to defend the pass. That's most important. Best is to be able to do both. So that is a good throwing, but most important is be able to get after the pass rusher, be able to do uh, and make an impact in that way. He knows that, but he's also very good against the run. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. And Mike McKagan and Quinn Williams both made a point of saying that he will play all over the line, correct? Yeah, they said they both said. Well, Quinnen didn't say that he will do that. He said that he's he's not one hundred percent sure, but he's willing and, and able to do play anywhere on the line. Um, you know, so but McTagnan said McTagnan said he's going to leave that to Adam Gase and Greg with two G's. He's going to leave that to them uh, to really decide. He's he's obviously not going to sit there and say you have to play him here. I definitely think he is going to be more of the three technique where, you know, he's lined up over the guard, but he can play all around. They can shift him all around. And again, this is you, people who are sitting there. Oh, we're in a, the Jets run a three, four, a will they convert to a four, three. I think eventually they kind of will, but it's also important to remember that really in today's NFL, your base defense is basically nickel and dime packages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, so that's that's going to be with four guys on the line anyway. You can move him around on all those. He can do some off the edge. Again, with his hands, the way he uses his hands, how violent his hands are, how quick and how powerful he is, he can do some of that. Now, he's not going to be a huge, crazy sack numbers from the edge, but he is a good pass rusher. He can be disruptive and really get in the quarterback's face. And I know fans are disappointed they wanted the edge. I could have seen the argument if it were, if you ha- if they were deciding between Bosa and Quinn Williams. I could have understood fans being like, no, we had to go for the edge there. I could have understood that. I would have disagreed, but I could have understood that. We talked about Josh Allen, who is the next guy. That's the one that the fans wanted if Bosa wasn't there. I don't see the same thing. There's way too many questions, Mark, with Josh Allen there. So you can be mad that they didn't get the edge rusher. But let's wait and see how it plays out. Because if Josh Allen is used in a similar fashion that Anthony Barr, who is somebody who's he's been comped to a lot, and a lot what I saw on tape, then you're not going to be upset at the end of the day when you watch Quinnen Williams. And also, when you watch Quinnen Williams on the Jets, you're going to come around. Maybe you're not there now, you're going to come around. I I will put money on it. I, I feel very confident that you will come around. And let's not act like the Jets are done building this team forever and that this, is, this year is 
you know, still about building towards the future. They're not going to be competing for a Super Bowl now. They've got Quinn and Williams, an absolutely special talent, the best player in this draft, in my opinion, and they can still add an edge. You know, maybe a Ja'Kai Polite in the third round, maybe one next year, but they can still go ahead and add that. They, this team is far from complete. You can only do plug one hole at a time with each pick. So they got a really good player, and I'm, I'm convinced that the fans are going to come around and, and see the light soon enough. Hey, guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. As far as pass rush goes, Chris, you heard Brett Coleman on this program say it. You heard Joe Blewett say it. Many others have said it. There are five things that you want a pass rusher to be elite at. Power, technique, intelligence, explosion, and arm length. Quinnen Williams is elite in all five areas. Nobody else in this draft was, and nobody else in most drafts is. He is an incredible prospect. When you consider his technique, when you consider his football IQ, just always knowing where the ball's going to be and where he needs to go, being able to snuff out plays, the technique I'm talking about, go and watch his moves, watch how he splits double teams, the way that he links his hands to his feet, it's incredible, it's very reminiscent of Aaron Donald, and I'm not saying that he's going to be as good as Aaron Donald, but I'm also not going to say that he can't be as good as Aaron Donald. He has the athleticism and the technique and the strength and all of that to be able to do it. The explosion, the way that he just explodes. Go and watch some of his sacks. Go and watch some of the plays where he just tore through these lines. I think he absolutely could be an outstanding pass rusher for this team from the interior. And like we've talked about a bunch of times, the league is changing. These quarterbacks have quicker releases now, and so you need to get pressure quicker. The edge rushers take a little longer to get there than the interior guys. So if you have a great interior player, they're worth their weight in gold. I want to go through a couple of the things that have been common arguments against Quinn and Williams. One of them is that Ed Oliver is better or you'd be better off trading down and taking Ed Oliver. Listen, Ed Oliver is an elite athlete, no question about it, and he's got a ton of upside. But the problem with Ed Oliver is that he needs a lot of work. His technique is not all that good. He tends to just put his head down and bull rush. You heard Joe Blewett talk all about this, and that's going to need to be fixed. And by the way, it's not that simple. It can be fixed, but it's not like it's a guarantee. Quinnen Williams' technique is already there, and he's 21 years old, and that doesn't mean that he can't get even better, but his technique at 21 years old is absolutely astounding. That's how good it is. With Ed Oliver, I made this analogy with you a couple of times off the air, Chris, and I'll say it now. I wanted to save it for if the Jets got Quinnen Williams or Ed Oliver, but essentially to me, if you are taking Ed Oliver over Quinnen Williams, that would be the equivalent of if it was the 2012 draft and you needed a quarterback and you took RG3 over Andrew Luck. Yes, you could make the case that RG3 had the higher ceiling. However, because Andrew Luck was that super rare, high floor, high ceiling prospect, which by the way, Quinn and Williams is for the reasons that we just listed, 
the odds of RG3 being better than Andrew Luck were very small. Because, again, you're talking about a guy in Quinton Williams who has an enormous ceiling and an enormous floor. Whereas with Oliver, yeah, he has an enormous ceiling and it might be higher than Quinton Williams. But the odds that he hits that ceiling while Quinton Williams ends up on the floor, it's not very good. You're making a very low percentage bet. And so, to me, it would have been insane to make that pick. As far as, well, you can't use them all on the line. You heard Brett Coleman. You heard Joe Blewett talk about how Quinn and Williams would be used on the line, how they would rotate him around, how he can play all the different spots on the line. He can play the nose. He can play on the ends. I'm sure that that's what they're going to do. They're going to mix and match. And like you said, Chris, and this has been talked about before, I think the eventual plan is to transition to a base 4-3 from a base 3-4, where also Quinn and Williams fits in perfectly. And like you said, nickel and dime is really more where it's at than anything else at this point because of the way that the league is going. So that's another thing that I think people need to get over the whole he won't fit, he won't fit. And let's also remember, as much as I like Henry Anderson and he's a good player, he's not a reason to pass on an elite prospect like this. The idea that he's not going to help the pass rush is, of course, absurd because we talked about how he has all the elite pass rushing traits. We saw him get to the quarterback at Alabama. He had 20 tackles for a loss. He had eight sacks. And on top of that, he's getting better and better. And he's going to help open up opportunities, not only for Leonard Williams and Henry Anderson up front, but also for guys like Jordan Jenkins and Brandon Copeland who will sneak in and get extra sacks now because of Quinn and Williams' presence on the line. The whole you can't take interior defensive line thing, that's something that I actually wanted you to talk about a little bit, Chris, because I know that Mike McCagnan had something to say about that when he was asked about the whole idea of taking too many interior defensive linemen. It's obviously ridiculous because you don't pass on an elite prospect just because other guys you picked at that position weren't as good of a prospect as Quinton Williams. And we've talked about this before anyway, Chris, the fact that Leo has been a very good player, and of course he was the right pick at that spot because go and look at the other guys that the Jets reasonably could have picked there. Muhammad Wilkerson was outstanding before he got hurt. Sheldon Richardson was easily the best pick that they could have made in that particular draft. And as far as Mo and Sheldon and all those guys together on the line, McCagnin, as I said, made a really good point, right? Yeah, you know, it, and people know you've been following me, you've been just listening to me on this podcast. I'm not. I'm not a huge McCagnin fan. I'm not a huge defender. Uh, I, you know, I thought he should have been fired. But he made an excellent point about this. Uh, he was asked about, you know, the idea that when they went, when he first got here, they took Leonard Williams, and they still had Damon Harrison. They still had Muhammad Wilkerson. They still had Sheldon Richardson. I forget who asked it, but they asked him that, and they was like, you know, and that failed. Why do you think that this will be different this year? And McCagney made an excellent point that you know it's been they've been so bad these last couple seasons that I kind of forgot about this. But he was like, you know, that first year we won ten games and our defense was really good. We were I, I, he forgot he said uh, top five, top ten defense. Um, they were really good that year. And then uh, Muhammad Wilkerson broke his leg in the final game of the season against the Bills. We know what happened with him. He was never the same player. He didn't put in the same the same work, the same energy and effort. Um, you know, obviously they made the mistake of paying him, but then the everything happened, you know, with, with Sheldon. 
then of course they got rid of uh, Damon Harrison and they got rid of Sheldon from there and then they got rid of Muhammad Wilkerson and now it's just Leonard Williams left but that first year they did have a really good defense that defensive line was a big part of the reason why I mean remember they went and they signed Revis in the offseason but Revis wasn't Revis when they signed him either that secondary wasn't great and the linebackers weren't great it was that defensive line that mm-hmm. made them a really strong defense um that is a big part of the reason why they were able to win all those games and be just a couple of ryan fitzpatrick interceptions away from making the playoffs in that last game against buffalo so there's no reason to think that i i'm still a believer in this that you know aside from obviously having a quarterback the two the best way to build an offense is with your offensive line and the best way to de- build a defense is with your defensive line. And you have to be able to get after the passer, the passer. It's not about stopping the run anymore. There was a time where that was a much bigger deal. But again, Quinn and Williams can get after the passer, and he can also stop the run. So that's good. He, you will never have to bring him off the field. This idea that he's just a two-down player or he's not going to be able to contribute on third downs is nonsense. And if you just Again, if you just watch the tape, you will see it. Um, I'm glad you brought up the Aaron Donald comparison because I hate doing that because even just talking about how they could have a little bit of similarities here and there, people will automatically go, oh, he's not going to be – no one's saying that. Mm-hmm. But if you watch the way he explodes off the line, you watch the way he uses his hands, mm-hmm. the way he twists his body to glide like sideways through tackles – that's what I see when I watch Aaron Donald. I, I've never seen anyone do that as smoothly and as successfully over and over and over again as I've seen Aaron Donald do that. I see Quinn Williams do that. Obviously, that I've seen him do that in college. It's going to be a big difference if he can do that in the NFL. I get that. I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Aaron Donald, but that specific part of him you see some glimpses of it. You see some of that. I don't understand how you can't be excited about that. And, you know, again, I could have understood it a little more with uh, with Bosa. I just think there's such a huge gap between Josh Allen and Quinn and Williams. It doesn't make sense to go anywhere else. And while I'm higher on Ed Oliver than you are, I do agree with you that, again, we talk about this so much about the draft is projection. And every single person, every scout, every reporter, every fan, every every single person who ever sat down and threw on college tape to watch a player and try to judge that player and really break it down has at some point fallen for it. They've fallen in love with a player based on projection. We've, it's happened to all of us. But the projection is dangerous because you, you're just assuming, you're hoping for the best. If Quinn Williams doesn't get any better, we already know he's still going to be really good. Fully expect him to get better. He's only 21 years old. He's still got braces on, man. He's got the baby <laughs> things. He's still got the braces. He's going to get better. But when you don't have to make the assumption, the, the projection you're going to feel a lot better about that player. It's very easy to get caught up in the hype and, and imagine all the possibilities with that Oliver. And again, I'm bigger, I'm higher on him than you are. 
but I agree that that is a lot of it is projection where there's not much projection with Quinn Williams. We know what he is. He can get better, but at the baseline that he's at now is still really, really, really good. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Bottom line with Quinn Williams is the Jets got the guy that I think was very clearly the best player in the draft. He's going to be outstanding. And if you're not a believer now, you will be soon, like you said, Chris. I think he's going to elevate this defense to a much higher level, not just in 2019, but also beyond. And that is what I think a lot of people lost in here, too, is this pick was not about 2019. You can't just pick a guy for whatever need you have for 2019 when you're picking number three. You're thinking about the long haul. What is this guy going to be the next five to ten years? And I think when you look at that, there's just no question that he was easily the best player in this draft. And I don't think that it's close. And I'm curious to see what the Jets do going forward beyond this as far as the rest of their draft picks, which we're going to get into in a little bit because there's a little bit of buzz about some other things that they might do. But I will throw this out there, too. For anybody that didn't get a chance to hear all of the coverage that we've done on Quinn and Williams, you can go into the archives April 8th. There was a show that we did, Joe Bluen and I. It was a full film breakdown in X and O Quick Hits where we talked about Quentin Williams for almost an hour, his strengths, his weaknesses, how he would play on the line with Henry Anderson and Leonard Williams. We debunked all the myths about what the supposed problems would be with having him here on and on down the line. Brett Coleman, who is one of the absolute best, his YouTube videos get over 150,000 views for a reason. He's also a draft and film analyst over at SB Nation. He was on. He talked all about Quentin Williams, went through the film, also talked about different traits and mechanics and things of that nature, but he went through the nitty-gritty on Quentin Williams as well. You heard a former professional scout, Connie Carberg, talk about Quentin Williams in depth and actually spoke to Connie tonight, and she's like, I'm so excited for you. I know how much you love Quentin Williams, which is hilarious to me that she was thinking of me, and that's how much this has gotten out of control with the whole Quentin Williams thing with me and Joe Blewett, how everybody's linked the two of us to him, but I just thought it was great that Connie texted me about that, and she's going to come back on the show, by the way, to talk about the Jets draft class once it's over, but you can hear her talk about it, Connor Rogers was on to talk about it, and obviously he's a professional college football analyst, you also heard from Jim Coburn, who's a data and analytics guy, all of that stuff is in our archives, so please go ahead and listen to it if you haven't already, and you can learn all about the Jets' new acquisition. Now, Chris, since we've handled all the stuff surrounding what the Jets did and Quinn and Williams, let's move on to the rest of the draft. We'll hit some of the highlights here. We talked about the first three picks. Cleland Farrell, which was a bit of a head-scratcher, I wasn't even sure he was going to go in the first round. He ends up going fourth overall. As you said, what this proves to me is that the reason the Raiders wanted to go up to number three is because they wanted Quinn and Williams because they could have had anybody else at number four and chose not to. At first, I thought it might be for the quarterback, possibly Haskins. It didn't happen because he went a little bit later, and we're going to get into that too. But man, Farrell was a weird pick. Devin White to Tampa, this was like the worst kept secret in the world. Yeah. Everybody knew how much they loved them, so he'll be there with our old friend Todd Bowles. And then we get to the one that continued to make my this night great. 
This, this is it. Was fantastic. The Giants are sitting there on the board at number six. You're wondering if they're going to pick a quarterback, and if they are, you're thinking, got to be Haskins, right? But then you're thinking to yourself, Josh Allen's still on the board. Ed Oliver's still on the board. They could use some defensive difference makers. Or, heck, they could even go offensive line because they've got issues there. They could take Jawan Taylor or Jonah Williams or Andre Dillard, any of those guys. What do they do? They pick Daniel Jones, the quarterback from Duke, who at best was the fourth best quarterback in this class. I think most people thought at best you would pick him in the second round, and that's being charitable. I can't even believe this. This is a guy that has so many flaws that show up on tape. I don't even know where to start. The Giants are unbelievable for making this pick, and God bless you, Dave Gettleman. I love it. He is the gift that keeps on giving because he passed on Sam Darnold last year. Then he decided not to trade for Josh Rosen, trades away Odell Beckham, decides he's going to stick with Eli Manning, and then drafts Daniel Jones at number six over Josh Allen and Ed Oliver and Dwayne Haskins. One of the craziest things that I've ever seen, and it's hilarious because, I don't know if you've seen this, Chris, but SNY put out a video when the pick was made, Ray Lucas was walking around at SNY, and he just started laughing uncontrollably and went over to one of the employees that works there that's a Giants fan and gave him kind of a hug as a almost condolence for what had happened. I just can't even believe that they made this pick. And I thought the night couldn't get any better after the Jets picked Quinn and Williams, but I was wrong because it did get better. Yeah, and I'll just add to that video. I didn't see that video you were talking about. But I did see a video of Mina Kimes from ESPN freaking out, and <laughs> she is a national treasure. And she she had the video from last year where she freaked out when the Giants took Saquon Barkley, and then she freaked out when the Bills took Josh, uh, Josh Allen, and now she did it again this time when they took Daniel Jones. Go ahead and look for that. You'll get a kick out of it. It is hilarious. Again, she is a national treasure. Uh, I'm going to get a little self-involved here and make this about me, but this is a Jets podcast, so you're going to, you, you Jets fans are going to enjoy this part. I have talked to you about this, you know, as uh, another ESPN personality, Bomani Jones says uh, about how he gave up his fandom. He, he gave up that narcotic. I gave up the narcotic of fandoms of of all my teams. You know, I I started watching, getting into Premier League, so I picked a random team to root for, but I don't really care if they win or lose. It's just a way for me to actually learn the league and get into it. So I gave up my fandoms, but I've lived in North Jersey since I was in fourth grade. So I don't root for teams in the NFL. If anything, I root for players but I still love to root against the Giants. Mm -hmm. I grew up in North Jersey. You can't grow up in North Jersey and not be a Giants fan and not hate the Giants. It's pretty much impossible. The Giants fans, at least the ones I've grown up around, and I know, uh, make that impossible. You have to root against them. So I'm sitting there, and then this is also – I wasn't surprised by this. It's kind of like the Kyler Murray thing. How I, you know, everything I was here is Kyler Murray, but it's the opposite because I was, it was Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray, 
And I was like, I can't believe they're actually going to do this. Well, I remember I watched Daniel Jones. I watched the ball uh, the bowl game this year, and he played decently in the bowl game. And I sat there and I tweeted it at the time. I retweeted a screenshot of, of it with me uh, talking to Keats uh, there on the timeline. And uh, I watched that bowl game and I said, the Giants are totally going to draft this guy because he's Big, he has a strong arm, there's the Cutcliffe connection, and he had a solid bowl game. And that's it. That's all I, I knew that was all it was going to take for Gettleman to go ahead and say, get me this guy. And, like, there was still part of my brain saying they're not really going to do this. They're not really going to be this dumb. But I, I knew it. I saw it coming because this is – you just look at all the moves they made – ran through them all is the only thing that makes sense. And then to top it off, they went at 17 and they took what of the angry Jets fans have been claiming Quinn and Williams is. They actually took a two-down run-stuffing <laughs> defensive tackle with the 17th pick. So, I mean, if whatever Jets fans – you're going to sit there and you're going to hold your head high and you're going to be up to laugh at the Giants for these next couple of years. Who knows like, how quick are they going to try to rush Daniel Jones out there? It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I do not see him being any good. I cannot see it. I'm not going to get as emphatically jumping out there like I did when the Jets drafted Christian Hackenberg. I don't think he's that bad. He will, he will be able to see the field, but I cannot imagine a world where Daniel Jones turns into a really good, solid quarterback. And, yeah, Jets fans, they passed on Sam Darnold last year for a running back. They could trade Odell away, and they could go get Daniel Jones this year. Uh, I, I mean, you know this. Uh, you see it. You found the reason. All every Carolina Panther fan is laughing and celebrating this because they hate Dave Gettleman. <laughs> and Giants fans are starting to understand why, and the ones that are still holding out hope will come around soon enough. I was on a Panthers podcast at the time that that pick was made, and I was laughing so hard that everybody else sort of joined in and it became a chain reaction because obviously, like you said, they hate Dave Gettleman because they think he ruined the Panthers. So we were all having a big laugh at the Giants' expense. I think the Giants used their number six overall pick on a player that I don't expect to be a starter for very long. I think eventually he's going to be a Blaine Gabberty type backup who's going to float around the league at best. This is just unbelievable that they went and did this, especially with Haskins on the board, if that's what you were looking to yeah. do. And there was a really interesting video that I told you about. I think Bleacher Report had it. It was of Dwayne Haskins sitting there hearing the announcement of Daniel Jones being picked ahead of him, and he just smiled and chuckled a little bit. And you know that as soon as he gets to the Redskins, he's going to say, so what were the two dates that were playing the Giants? Let me circle that on the calendar. He is going to remember that forever and be sticking it right up the Giants' butt for the rest of eternity. You better believe that. We'll get to Dwayne Haskins in a little bit. The rest of the top 10 was interesting. Josh Allen goes number seven to the Jaguars. I really like that value there. TJ Hawkinson to the Lions. Some people might say it's a little high for a tight end, but I think he's going to be a really, really good player and should help Matthew Stafford a lot. And Oliver goes to the Bills, as we said. It looked like the Bills were trying to trade up for Quentin Williams. Instead, they settle for Oliver. 
and the Steelers trade up from number 20 to number 10 to nab Devin Bush, the linebacker for Michigan. So, Chris, we talked about that Giants pick, but any other thoughts on the other picks in the top 10? I mean, you know, like you said, the Devin White pick was, uh, we knew that was coming. That was was kept secret. The Jags, I like the pick for Josh Allen, especially with that defense. I think he'll fit in. That's a really good spot for him. I'm a little surprised they didn't try to do something offensively, though. Um, you know, they they still don't have a lot of weapons. That offensive line isn't great. They got Nick Foles now. Uh, uh, they don't have a lot of work to do. Obviously, the Ed Oliver pick is going to be something we're going to watch closely and play out to see how uh, he goes and going against the Jets two times a year. I love the Hawkinson pick for the Lions. I talked about how much I love him and in this draft. I think he's going to be a really good player. And the Devin Bush pick is it isn't a surprise. They traded up. I'm not sure. It, they didn't give up too much to trade up to get him, I don't think. But, you know, I was a little busy trying to do the press conference, conference call and writing articles. So I don't have exact details. But that's not a surprise. The Steelers have been looking to get an inside linebacker replacement for Ryan Chazier since he had that horrible injury. So that's not a surprise there at all. But, uh, you know, they Listen, you look at those players, and it's hard not to sit there and just be like, yep, okay, Quinn and Williams just got the best guy there. Moving along past the top 10 into the next 10 picks, Cincinnati takes Jonah Williams from Alabama, the offensive tackle. is a guy that there have been some questions about because everybody feels like he's not going to be an elite athlete, so no one knows exactly where his ceiling is, but he is a dependable tackle, so a steady pick there for the Cincinnati Bengals. Rashawn Gary goes to the Packers. That was a weird pick. I don't yeah. like Rashawn Gary at all. He's an athlete, and that's it. I think it was a terrible pick by the Packers. I'm not really sure what they're doing. They're kind of starting to fall apart, actually. Like yeah, maybe that's who liked him. I will say we talked about Muhammad Wilkerson before. I think a lot of Jets fans don't remember how awesome Mo was in 2015, oh, and that's part of what we were talking about before, about why that defensive line was successful. But he was the one that was really pounding the table for Muhammad Wilkerson back in 2011, if you go and read Collision Low Crossers. So, listen, he does have a history with these defensive linemen. If Rashawn Gary can be anything close to as good as Muhammad Wilkerson was for the Jets, then it would be a big win for the Packers. But I just don't see it. I think that was a terrible pick. Christian Wilkins, the defensive tackle from Clemson, goes to Miami number 13 that was a weird one too Wilkins is fine but at number 13 seems a little high Chris Lindstrom the guard from Boston College goes to Atlanta again kind of a weird pick there at number 14 for Atlanta I thought it was a little high for Lindstrom Dwayne Haskins falls right into the Redskins lap now the funny thing about this is we kept hearing about how Daniel Snyder had taken over the draft room and he was looking to make this big splash and trade all the way up. Turns out that was never the case. They weren't looking to move all the way up into the top five. They were considering maybe moving up a couple of spots if they needed to. But in the end, they stayed at number 15. And thanks in large part to the Giants' stupidity, they land Dwayne Haskins at number 15. And I don't think he's going to be a great quarterback, but I think he could be a pretty good starting quarterback and really good value at number 15. Brian Burns goes to the Panthers at 16. Again, would have been high for me to take in the top 10, but at 16, real good value. I worry a little bit about his strength. He's got some technique issues, especially when it comes to the run. Undersized at only 230, 235. I'm sure he'll pack on some weight, but very explosive. So they use him properly. He could be a guy that could turn into a solid pass rusher in the NFL. 
As you mentioned, Chris, I thought the night couldn't get any better after Quentin Williams and Daniel Jones. And I was wrong again because it did get better. The Giants picked again with the Odell Beckham pick. And unbelievably, they traded Odell Beckham in part for a pick that turned into Dexter Lawrence. As you mentioned, a two-down defensive tackle from Clemson, a guy that probably should have gone in the third round. Really good run stuffer, but this is 2019. You need a guy on the interior that can rush the passer, and he can't. So to pick him at 17 is a little bit nuts. The Vikings desperately needed help on the offensive line, certainly at center where they had one of the worst players in the league at the position last year. They upgrade big time with Garrett Bradbury from NC State, who there been some talk about with the Jets if they had traded down. I think that's a really good pick. Jeffrey Simmons goes to the Tennessee Titans from Mississippi State. Really talented guy, but he had that ACL, and that's a tricky one with a guy that big. You never know if he's ever going to recover that explosiveness. But still at that spot, it's not the worst gamble. And Noah Fant goes to the Denver Broncos, the tight end from Iowa. He's a strange case because a ton of athletic upside, and you think that he may have it in him to become a really good tight end, but not much production. He really got outshined by TJ Hawkinson when they played together at Iowa. A projection pick there by Denver with the pick that they got trading down with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So Chris, what do you think? Any thoughts on picks 11 through 20? I got a lot of them. <laughs> uh, I'll just go Jonah Williams. Pick, love the pick versus Cincinnati. I'm with you on the Gary pick. I thought that was a huge reach. Uh, I wouldn't have been surprised at all if he slipped out of the first round. Uh, you know, uh, I like the Christian Wilkins pick for the Dolphins. I thought Brian Burns would be the pick there. I thought that would have made a lot more sense, but I think Jets fans should be happy that they don't have to go against Brian Burns twice a year. The Chris Lindstrom pick with Atlanta surprised me a little bit too. I thought they would go with a, with a tackle there. Uh, obviously, there's, uh, you know, Juwan Taylor, there's something uh, going on there because he's still available. But I thought that the Falcons might go with the tackle there. Talked about Haskins. I, I'm the same with you. I like Haskins. I didn't dig into his tape because, fortunately, I didn't have to because we knew the Jets weren't taking quarterback. But I liked him. I don't love him. I think he can be a solid ed- uh, started quarterback in the, in the NFL, but nothing special, not not a top 10 type guy. And, you know, but hey, that's better than what I think Daniel Jones can be. Uh, again, Brian Burns, somebody I, I like. Dexter Lawrence, we already talked about the Garrett Bradbury thing. That was one of the most obvious picks, too. If he was going to be there, the Vikings absolutely needed to do that. The offensive line was an absolute disaster. And don't be surprised at all if you see Garrett Bradbury as a, an all pro making Pro Bowls in the next couple of years. And if for the Jets fans that want to criticize the Quinn and William picks, if you're going to criticize the William, Quinn and William picks, the, the only real way I can see to do it is to sit there and say that they need to trade back and be able to get somebody like Garrett Bradbury. Trade back just enough to be in front of the Vikings. because He is going to be a really good center for a long time. There's no doubt about it, and that is a huge need. Obviously, at three, you can't take a center there, and especially not with a player like Quinn Williams there. But if that's going to be, if you're determined to criticize him, then go ahead there. Uh, Simmons in Tennessee, like you said, he had the injury. He also had some off-the-field stuff earlier, high school stuff. But, uh, you know, he might even have to miss the season uh, from what I've heard. 
but we'll have to see about that. And I like Noah Fant more than you do, but then again, I'm with you. There is a projection there. That is somebody there that I'm projecting. And I went back and forth watching him and Hawkinson the season i would go back and forth being like oh i like this one more i like that one more and i ultimately settled on liking hawkinson more but that's because he was safer because he's a little bit better of a blocker but i think fat will be a better a, has more upside as a receiver so i really like that pick of course he went to denver though and they're they're still going to try it out joe flacco as their quarterback next year so it's going to take a little bit of time for him to actually be productive and do anything. They're going to have to find a quarterback somehow. They might need to get somebody else to make a pick for them there because obviously John Elway has not done a good job at acquiring quarterbacks for that team. Let's finish off the rest of the first round, and then we'll get to some quick news and notes. At 21, the Packers traded up with Seattle. They end up getting Darnell Savage, the safety for Maryland. I like Savage, and I have to admit I've been influenced a little bit by Joe Malfa, who works with the Maryland football team. He's been all over him, and I think he's a really good ball coverage safety, so that's a solid pick for Green Bay. Philly trades up and grabs Andre Dillard, which makes sense. They needed some help on that offensive line because they've got to protect Carson Wentz. They jumped up a couple of picks to do that. They traded with Baltimore to get ahead of Houston, who then picked Titus Howard, the offensive tackle from Alabama State. That seemed like a reach. I thought he was going to be a second or third round pick, but instead he goes to Houston at number 23, so a little bit of help for Deshaun Watson. At number 24, the Oakland Raiders jump up, take the pick from Chicago, and grab Josh Jacobs, the running back from Alabama. Good player, makes sense too, because they were afraid that a couple of the teams behind them, especially the Baltimore Raiders, Ravens were going to make the move for running back, so they get the consensus top running back in the draft. Hollywood Brown becomes the first wide receiver to get drafted in the first round, all the way at number 25 by the Ravens. He now becomes a weapon that Lamar Jackson gets to work with as he continues to develop in the passing game. The Redskins trade back up into the first round with Indianapolis and grab Montez Sweat. I'm not super high on Montez Sweat, but he's a great athlete. And at pick number 26, it's pretty good value, especially after it came out earlier in the day that they think that there was a false diagnosis with the heart condition, and so the fears of his medical were overblown. Jonathan Abram, who I really like, the safety for Mississippi State, he ends up going number 27 to the Raiders, who got the pick from Dallas. The Chargers end up drafting Jerry Tillery, who's really underrated defensive tackle from Notre Dame. The Seahawks grab LJ Collier, who they project to be the next Michael Bennett. He comes in from TCU. That was the pick that they got in the Frank Clark trade from Kansas City. The Giants trade back up into the first round to get DeAndre Baker, the cornerback from Georgia. The only thing I can say about that is I suppose it's a better pick than the first two. (laughs) The Falcons pick Caleb McGarry, the offensive tackle from Washington. That was a pick that they acquired from the Rams. And then the Patriots finished things off with the second wide receiver of the evening, Nikhil Harry from Arizona State. Report came out that they'd been looking to move that pick. They offered it to the Browns for the 49th and 80th picks. The Browns declined. Apparently the Patriots weren't sold on Harry, but he was the guy that they were going to pick if they stayed there. And so that's what ended up happening. So it seems like based on that, The price to get back into the second round may not be as bad as some of us think, and Mike McCagnan had something to say about that. But first, why don't you tell me your thoughts on picks 20 through 32? Yeah, I'll just start with the two safeties that were taken. I don't know too much about them. I've heard good things about both of them. 
but you know the Jets. I obviously knew they weren't going to be going safety, so I didn't bother digging safe there. Um, you know, I knew Dillard. The, the Texans were going to be all over Dillard, and that would have made a whole lot of sense uh, because they needed somebody to protect Sean Watson. So when I saw the Eagles trade up in front of them, I was like, "Yep, okay, that's going to be the pick right there." They knew they had to get up there. And that, and when the Texans picked Titus Howard, that's when I was like, okay, something might be going on with uh, with Taylor because for him to for them to go with Titus Howard, there, I didn't see that one coming. The Josh Jacobs thing, that's a good pick, and you know, we I'm fully on don't take running back early. I think when you there's a huge difference between taking a running back, you know, in a top five, top ten. At the back end of the first round, especially when you have three picks in the first round, you know, go ahead and take the best running back in the class at pick number 24. There's, there, you do get a benefit there as opposed to taking a guy in the second round because you get to have him on a rookie contract for a fifth year. The Hollywood Brown's an interesting pick there. He's a receiver I like, but with Lamar Jackson, is that – is that really the best fit? You want that deep guy there? I I would think they would have been better off with somebody, you know, a big body receiver. But this is, again, what I've been talking about, it's really hard to predict receivers because everybody values receivers differently, the type of receiver. They want different types. And even with the Patriots, they went with Nikhil Harry there. I was thinking they would go with A.J. Brown or maybe they'd go with D.K. Metcalf. Um, and, you know, I think both of those would have been better fits with Baltimore as much as I like Hollywood Brown. I, especially A.J. Brown, I think, would have been a really good fit, fit there. And he, he, A.J. Brown seems like, a, a you know, a Patriots receiver, too. He, he's a slot guy. He can play some on the outside. That, but, you know, Nikhil Harry is the pick there. I'm with you on Sweat uh, at 26. And the, you, you've got your quarterback at 15, trade up to get Sweat. Yeah, okay, I'm good with that. Uh, and the pick I really love here, though, at the end is pick number 28 to the Chargers, Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame, defensive tackle. This guy is really good. He, he is a really disruptive player there, too. And that San Diego defense with Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, uh, you know, a bunch of other players, they have really strong secondary. That San Diego defense is going to be really good. They can plug Jerry Tillery in there and just really take off from there. So that that's one of the, my favorite picks in this entire round. Let's run through some of the guys that are still on the board. Juwan Taylor, who I think might be the best offensive lineman in the draft. Apparently, there's some sort of problem with his knee, and that's why he's dropping. That's what they're saying right now. So he's still there. DK Metcalf is still on the board. Drew Locke's still on the board. Cody Ford, Greedy Williams, Byron Murphy. So there's some real talent there, a bunch of guys that could have gone in the first round. And it's something that bears watching because, Chris, I believe in the presser, Mike McCagnan mentioned that it's definitely a possibility that he would try to get back into the second round. Yeah, I mean, he said it's a possibility. It didn't sound like he, it's a real possibility. Um, you know, he said that they will look into it. It will depend on how cost prohibitive it is. They're not going to, you know, do any, give up any huge packages there. But if they have, you know, if they can package one of their, it, it'll depend on who's available and when. If they, you know, if they, let's just use Juwan Taylor as an example. If they have a great, a high grade on him and they're comfortable with his medical, 
and then he falls to a certain spot in the second round, then maybe they'll go out and make a pick like that. Maybe they'd do something like that for a DK Metcalf or an AJ Brown. Maybe they do that for Greedy Williams. There's, there's still a bunch of good players left, and there's going to be a bunch of good players left in the third round still. And maybe, and this would probably be the best if they're going to move up to the second round. What they'd probably best to do is move up for uh, you know a McCoy, uh, the center McCoy, or uh, you know Alden Jenkins, somebody like that. Go ahead and solidify that center spot. And, you know, maybe they trade one of their threes and package Darren Lee in there to, uh, you know, swap a second for their third and Darren Lee. Or maybe they give a third, one of the thirds and, you know, a third or fourth next year. They can get creative and do something like that. And like you were saying, a lot of these uh, trades that we did see later in the first round weren't that, it didn't cost that much. Now, I've been saying the value in this draft is really in the second and third rounds. So maybe it won't be quite as cheap. Uh, people go there, but again, there's a lot of receivers left. There's still a lot of good uh, offensive linemen left. There's still a lot of really good players. So even if they don't trade into the second, they have those two third-round picks. They can definitely get two good players of course, the obvious concern is as good as McCagan has been at, at drafting the safe guy in the early, with the top five picks that he gets, it's been a much harder work for him in those middle round picks. I don't know, maybe I should go ahead and take a look to see uh, what prospects there are available that are over 25 and see uh, who, who he'll be eyeing there in the third round. That wouldn't be good, though. Go for one of those centers and, uh, you know, an extra receiver or quarterback. Speaking of the third round, and this is our last order of business, supposedly the Cardinals were shopping Josh Rosen, and the best offer they could get was a third-round pick. The market is slimming now because, obviously, the Giants made a pick at quarterback, so did the Redskins. So if the Dolphins or somebody else doesn't step up with an offer – better than the third round pick that was the best offer that they could get so far they may just end up keeping him have the two of them compete for the starting job and then maybe if Rosen does really well in training camp and in the preseason they can trade him for higher value I guess if all you're going to be able to get is a third round pick you are better off keeping him because the competition will drive both him and Kyler Murray it might bring Kyler Murray to a higher plane and it might get you better value from Rosen in a trade later on. I guess there's no real rush to trade him. And so if you're only going to get a third-round pick, might as well just hang on to him for now. Yeah, I don't know. I, I Again, I'm, I'm a Rosen fan. I was a big Rosen fan coming out last year. And I don't. there's nothing that I saw last year that's going to scare me from changing that because that Arizona team was terrible. But again... They haven't done anything to really upgrade that team, the talent around him. So the idea of being able to play him preseason or even have him start the season and try to boost his trade value there, that doesn't seem very likely. Uh, that does, and uh, you're sitting there looking at him, and you want you really want to go into training camp and everything with both of them and create that mess, have them both ask, answering questions with each other. And, you know, I, I'm a big fan, like I said, a big fan of Rosen, and I really like Kyler Murray. Neither of them are particularly, uh, you know, somebody, they're not Sam Darnold with the media. Like, 
you can throw pretty much anything at Sam Darnold in the media, and he's going to give you the right answer. Uh, Josh Rosen, as much as I like him and I appreciate his outspokenness, he is outspoken. Kyler Murray's not the best at, with the media stuff. A lot of you hear some of the stuff, and you can kind of tell he's not saying fully what he means. Uh, but it's it's it just kind of seems like you're inviting a mess at this point. I if you're going to offer me a third round pick, I think I'd just take it because number one. There's not a lot of teams out there that are looking for quarterbacks right now. It's We're in a weird spot right now. For so long, there's been so many teams that need quarterbacks. There's been so many young quarterbacks taken in the last couple of years. And then we have so many quarterbacks like uh, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, uh, Ben Roethlisberger that are still going much longer than we ever expected. Um, and the idea that you're going to sit there and uh, just all of a sudden somebody's going to open up and offer up something more, also considering the fact that next year's draft, there's going to be three highly sought-after quarterbacks coming out. And then the, so really what you'd be doing is you'd be holding on to hope, uh, holding on to him, hoping that you know a, a, a Sam Bradford-type situation comes up where, you know, the quarterback gets hurt and then the, you trade him for that. But who's going to – that would have to be somebody who's competing for a Super Bowl and are they going to be willing to do that for a, a young quarterback who hasn't proven himself in this league? That just seems like you're a very slim chance, very low percentage that you're going to bring that and invite that mess into your locker room and your team for a first-year coach straight out of college. I don't know. That just seems like a disaster to wait. And I think I just trade whatever you could get, which makes the, the selection of Daniel Jones that more head-scratching because give me – go ahead. I'd part with a second-round pick for Josh Rosen way before spending a six on Daniel Jones. Yeah, I agree with you on that for sure. It's going to be an interesting situation to monitor, and we'll see if this is all a bluff and they actually do trade Rosen for a third rounder or something, or if they are going to keep him and try and get the most out of him, see if he can do really well in training camp in the preseason, and then try and deal him for a first or a second rounder or something like that. Chris, thanks so much for hopping on. We will do this again tomorrow at the conclusion of day number two. So we've got rounds two and three to look forward to. The Jets, as it stands right now, have two picks in the third round, none in the second. As we said, that could change. We shall see if Mike McCagnon's got something up his sleeve. But as far as I think both of us are concerned, night one, he absolutely hit a home run. So I'm really thrilled with what he did here with the third overall pick. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with the two third rounders tomorrow. And if there are other picks that he picks up, looking forward to seeing what he does with those as well. Chris, I'm looking forward to talking to you tomorrow. And I'm looking forward to reading your article in full because you've got one up right now about Quinn and Williams. Why don't you tell everybody how they can read that article and how they can get a hold of you on social media? Yeah, you can find the article at JetsInsider.com. I got an article up there that I, I posted that's, you know, he's not an edge, but Quinn and Williams is a pass rusher. Uh, got some quotes and stuff from Quinn and uh, McCagnan there, so you can go ahead and read that. Uh, also, Alan got a couple articles up there, including uh, some players to look at for tomorrow. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll have some more stuff up tomorrow. So we'll get a bunch more with Quinn and Williams in the coming days. 
and be able to give a little more specifics on some ways he's used. And then, of course, we will be looking forward to who they draft and then breaking down those picks. And then you can find me on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. I told you, man, hiring Alan Schechter, great move. He is paying dividends already, doing tremendous work over there. And you, of course, writing your very big deal article on Quinn and Williams. So go ahead over to JetsInsider.com. Follow Chris on Twitter. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.